In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your froggy-throated host, Rob, broadcasting to you from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. I don't know if it's uh, allergies brought on by spring and the thaw and all that, or uh, I'm getting a cold, but I've got a little bit of a catch in my throat. I've got a cup of red zinger here by my side, and hopefully I won't be coughing or stuff. I'll try to edit if, <laughs> if I do that. Had a couple calls from Tim Shorts and from Gothridge Manor and Froth from the Thought Eater podcast, so let's get to them. Hey Rob, Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor, just listening to your latest podcast and couldn't agree more with uh, about the, the um, challenge about how they're not balanced. I've never been a fan of that. I remember back before he was like all about trying to balance encounters and I just, just could never get on board with that. Even with my current campaign, it's funny, I was going to do a podcast about this today. I'm still going to, but uh, yeah. And I, and I think that there, you know, if I had first level characters fighting like seven, what was it? Two hit dice creatures. And then one of them, and then an eighth one that had some magic too. So that's, especially when none of them were fighters, they were just like a street mage without sleep. And um, you know, halfling. So I'm all about not balancing my encounters at all. Good uh, episode. Thanks for the call, Tim. I appreciate it. And I agree with you. The balance is uh, something I don't really look at, at least as far as a balanced encounter goes. Um, I When I'm prepping an area for the adventurers to hang around in I just decide what monsters and NPCs are also present in the area or could be passing through the area and make uh, encounter tables for that area pepper the landscape with some lairs or hideouts dungeons and then uh, yeah whatever I roll on the encounter table is what's in the area and sometimes that's uh, monsters that the party can trounce on and sometimes it's monsters that they really shouldn't be tangling with and uh, I think that's good because it it covers the full spectrum the the players get a real sense of thrill like they're big shots when they can trounce on uh, a scavenging party of kobolds but they maybe realize that they're not so big fish when a couple of griffins fly overhead and uh, are hungry for the horses they're riding. And I guess that also plays a little bit into my whole idea of high power and low power campaigns and stuff. If you're going to balance the encounters, like it seems some games tell you to, is there really much distinction between being first level and fighting goblins and being fifth level and fighting ogres um other than more chrome 
the whole game experience isn't all that different in my mind. Rob, it's Froth. Listening to you, catching up on podcasts, listening to your last two and enjoying them. Liking the DM stuff. Agree with almost all of it. Just a couple of things I don't agree with, though. Like on roll 20, I, I'm too lazy to hide all my rolls, so I, I do roll in front of the players. But if I'm playing just face-to-face, I much prefer to hide it behind the screen. I don't know. Maybe I'm warped or something, but uh, I'm not fudging the dice, but I like to roll them. Sometimes I'll even do the old roll for no reason. Uh, the other thing, one thing that you mentioned that I totally agree with amongst many things is, uh, that you kind of, whatever you're going to reward, you know, it's going to affect their behavior. It's kind of like a bonus for sales, salespeople. So something good to keep in mind. Running out of time. Good stuff. Thanks for calling in Froth and having a little conversation with me about this. Glad that you're enjoying the episodes and stuff. I, I think you're a little bit more old school than I am with rolling behind the screen and, I think that's fine. Uh, I don't, as a player, I don't have a problem with that. I just, um, in my game group, I saw a couple people were rolling out in front of the screen when they were GMing Keith and Chris. And I was rolling behind it. And, uh, but I'd, con- uh, not constantly, but I'd occasionally see people give me the old raised eyebrow every once in a while or kind of sigh or look down when I, would roll a crit or something for the monsters, and I just got the feeling that they were, I don't know, maybe doubting the roll a little bit. I got, I got in the habit of like raising up my screen to reveal the hey, there's there's the twenty. I didn't, I didn't mess with it and stuff. But so I just decided, what the heck, I'm going to start rolling out in the open to, you know, remove all doubt when it comes to to hit rolls and damage rolls and saving throws and all that stuff. I still roll some things behind the screen, like uh, searching for secret doors and reactions and uh, morale. And Well, sometimes I roll morale out in the open. but um, And I think either way is fine. I use a screen. I mean, I like, number one, having the some art facing the players to kind of set the mood for them if they're rather than having to look at my ugly mug. And, uh, you know, it it can also have some useful information on on there for me to quick consult. And I like being able to, you know, roll things secret if I want to and, yeah, do the occasional dice rattling to make them nervous, um, even if it's meaningless, and to hide my maps and stuff too. So I do like screens. I use them. Um, And I really like to just remove the temptation to fudge some of those things um i very seldom fudge when i was rolling everything behind the screen but once in a while i i do so i i admit it i'm a big softy at heart and sometimes i'd modify a die roll here or there just to have a a character survive or something so (laughs) I guess the jokes on some of the, my players when they when they raise their eyebrows and stuff at me, uh, I was usually um, doing things in their favor uh, if I was to modify things, which you know, like I said, didn't happen very often. But I just it's kind of nice now to not even have that temptation. Oh, it's 
There's occasionally talk on the Audio Dungeon Discord about kind of like podcasting jitters or being apprehensive about releasing something too soon and wanting to edit down or re-record segments to that better exemplify your thoughts and ideas on the topic at hand. And I totally understand all that stuff. I The first couple of podcasts I recorded, I was almost a little shaky when I, when I was doing it because, I don't know, I mean, no one wants to sound like an idiot or or put something out to people their their peers that's that's crap and i guess i feel that way a little bit more about writing something for some reason i guess it's a little bit like if you're texting or emailing it it doesn't feel as formal as if you're writing something on a piece of paper or having especially if you're writing something to be published for like widespread distribution and stuff then I'd then I would be really uh, I don't know I'd, I'd pay a lot more attention to the the little stuff if I were doing that but on the discord channel I've referred to my style a couple of times and uh, as punk rock podcasting where it's basically just one take and uh I'll I'll hit pause if I really get into the weeds or my my brain melts down and I'm in a cul-de-sac. But otherwise I pretty much leave everything in and uh just re-record po- segments if if it's really just rambling garbage, which has happened a couple of times but not very often. Some of you might think all of this stuff is pretty much rambling garbage and and uh yeah it's but i just don't really sit and sweat the small stuff when it comes to these podcasts because i think of it more as just having a conversation with some people about my the hobby i like it's it's not something that i get too bothered about if people are doing ums and ahs and pauses in their delivery or if uh if you hear some kind of background noise in a lot of ways i think those little things make the conversation seem more real and the uh, the people that are doing the podcasting seem less guarded and are it is more like you're just having a conversation with someone on the phone or sitting around having a drink or whatever and I guess that's the feel I want to have so it's uh, kind of punk rock like uh, I think I've referred to Husker Du's and Arcade that's uh, one of my favorite albums it's a double album that was released back in 1984 by um a local group Husker Du who's uh some of you might know if you haven't uh, checked them out and you like punk or alternative or hardcore definitely do so they recorded that album i think it's 25 tracks from what i've heard they did all but two of those tracks in one take, and the whole album took like 40 hours to put together and uh, release and stuff, and and it's brilliant. And I think a lot of times when you go back and re-edit or re-record or whatever, sometimes maybe you'll lose something. A lot of times your your first take, your first 
gut reaction to something is uh, there's something raw and, and uh, I don't know. I guess the big difference between me and those guys is Bob Mould and Grant Hart and uh, Greg Norton. They had talent. <laughs> me, not so much. All right, sorry, I had a little coughing fit there, so I'm uh, heating up some water for another cup of tea. But the, another aspect of my philosophy on podcasting is there, there are podcasts out there that do a great job of editing and putting together something that sounds really professional and stuff. And, you know, if people prefer that style, that's what they're going to gravitate to. If they like the more raw conversational style and just like hearing a person's viewpoint on a variety of topics that come out on a much more regular basis, then uh, the OSR Anchorites are a great example of that kind of podcast. And uh, speaking of which, so Larry Hamilton over at Follow Me and Die just released a podcast, uh, I don't know if it was earlier today or uh, yesterday, but he's talking a lot about creativity and as you get older you don't really care as much about what other people's opinions of are of you and uh, and exercising your creative muscles because it just gets easier the more you use them and when you don't use them they kind of atrophy like everything else and uh, and he was talking a little bit about designing your own game and stuff and and um, yeah, so listen to his latest episode and uh, well, his his podcast in general. But it got me thinking a little bit about the whole idea of a comfort zone in gaming, and that's something that I continually struggle with a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm I'm primarily a traditional OSR D&D gamer and uh, that's by far maybe I don't know 90 probably more like 95% of the gaming I've done in my lifetime is, has been either BX or first or second edition D&D um, or some kind of clone of, of such and it's gotten really easy for me. It's it's easy for me to DM that. It's easy for me to play that stuff. It's it's all second nature to me. So, uh, and I've got all sorts of supplements and modules and things I've created for those systems. So, I've got all this stuff at my fingertips to use, and it's it's really easy. But there's something in the back of my mind that makes me think that, well, what if I'm missing out though? Maybe if, maybe this isn't the best system in the world. And I readily acknowledge that there are aspects of that game system that kind of bug me. And I think there's better ways to do a lot of those things. And I try to incorporate some of the things that don't interfere directly with other mechanics from, from other games I like. But, uh, yeah, the tea kettle's getting a little loud here, so maybe I should pause. And Yeah, so people have comfort zones and all manner of things in their life, and gaming's so different, and what you're, what you're growing accustomed to is 
can easily become your comfort zone, your safe place that it's uh it's easy, it's comes naturally to you and and changing those things is not really scary, but it's just like trying a new restaurant and rolling the dice to see if you like it rather than going to an old favorite that you know and love. And I know Jason Hobbs has been talking on his Random Screed podcast about introducing what people view as story game kind of elements to their trad OSR games. And I think what he mainly means by that is the DM relinquishing more of the narrative control to the players and asking them questions and letting them fill in the blanks for backgrounds and how their characters might know about something or naming things or whatever. And I don't know. I, I kind of think that's maybe a double-edged sword. I, With the right type of people, I could see that working great uh, with players that are really creative and into that and also that are in touch with the feel of the campaign, with the what the DM's vision is and what the players are kind of going along with and stuff. And the things I worry about are, A, the the players all have their own comfort zone too, and and that varies from table to table, player to player, and some of them probably aren't very comfortable with um, having to take over the narrative role if they if they did like that aspect I think they might be more inclined to be a GM than uh, than a player and B I think there are some players that would just come up with silly or even dumb narrative that could you know wildly change the campaign just by something they say if you give them license to and and have this understanding that if you hand over the narrative control that that what they say actually happens and maybe I'm totally misreading what this this mechanic idea is like and and they they can't do something like say oh we we go into the bushes and stumble across a rocket ship that's crashed and and then you have to work with it um or something plummets out of the sky what is it you know it's uh I think it could work really well with with the right group of people, and I think it could be a little bit of a disaster and um, in the wrong hands. And I'm a little reluctant to try it. I, I do a little bit of it from from time to time, but it's more like you know, describe you know basic things like what your character looks like. What are the show? Describe to me what you're doing. Um, what did that? what did that magic missile spell you cast look like and how how was your killing blow what did, what did that look like or tell me how you know this person you know those things yeah i can get on board with all that stuff but i don't know maybe i'm a control freak as a dm and stuff but i don't i don't like the idea of relinquishing too much narrative control and it's just not in my comfort zone i guess and I also really like the idea of coming up with my own game system. It's something I've been noodling with for a long time, and I've danced around the perimeter and mainly just Frankenstein systems together and to make my own, you know, 
pick and choose from different versions of OSR and even like 5e to make a, a fantasy adventure game. I did it with Halberts and Henchmen, and I like how it came about, but it still has a lot of the same problems that I see in with uh, the D&D mechanics. There are some, I don't know, I, th- I think if you blow it up and rework it from the ground level, you'd, you can use a lot of the same trappings and themes and even some of the same mechanics, but I think there's some stuff that really just needs to be reworked. And it's a matter of overcoming my laziness and my comfort zone because I've got all this stuff, I know it, and if I were to change things, that just is a lot more work for me. And and is the end result worthwhile? I mean, would would it be a better game experience for everyone? Or would it just be different and I did a bunch of work for nothing. So that's the kind of balance I struggle with a little bit as far as deciding whether or not to go in with both feet. And um, I guess, if nothing else, it could, as Larry Hamilton alludes to, it would just be kind of a creative exercise that uh, that I enjoy and and... If nothing else, it would be exercising my creative muscles, and that's a good thing. So I'll probably end up still noodling around with it and stuff, because what else would I do? Sit around watching TV? I don't know. Sorry about that. need another long sip of tea there. I need to wrap this up, because my voice is kind of going out on me. Um, but So Anchor changed things recently, and they've got a, at least on the mobile app side of things. I, I do everything with Anchor on my on my phone and actually it's kind of funny. I I've never really had any issue with Anchor. I haven't like knock on wood lost an episode or a segment or anything like that. It's I don't know, maybe it's because I use an iPhone or something. Maybe it works better with that than than Androids or something. I know some of the Anchorites talk about Anchor flaking out on them a lot and stuff. But anyway, they added a analytics tab to the to the mobile app and it's it's kind of fun look, looking at uh the countries that people are are listening from and it even breaks it down like in the states by by state or in the uk if it's uh wales or scotland and um I, it's fun to just see like people are listening to my dumb little podcast all over the place and uh um yeah i'm uh if if things hold true, uh, either today or tomorrow, I'll reach my one thousandth listen to the show, and I, I never thought that would ever happen. Uh, not that I mean, I realize that's still complete small time, no big deal. But I appreciate it. I appreciate all you people listening to to me ramble about different things and calling me and giving your opinions about things and encouraging me on uh, the guys that do on uh, the Audio Dungeon Discord and my my gaming friends and stuff. So thanks everyone for listening. Don't go down in a heap.